It's February 7th, 2021, and welcome to episode 51 of the Baby Metal Podcast. We gather in the podcast Discord server on alternate weeks to discuss news and thoughts on the past and future projects of Baby Metal. We invite you to join us, whether you're a longtime fan or have only just arrived. I am Paul, and I am joined by Kevin. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And Callie. Hello, everyone. And today, a special guest, uh, AJ Hartley. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. So very happy to have you here. Thank you. We will spend the first part of the episode talking through a little bit of news with AJ, and then um, the main sort of topic today will be chatting with AJ Hartley about the video series that he's been doing on deeper dives into various aspects of the songs, um, but we'll, we'll talk more about that later. So if you haven't come across his videos right when you're done listening to this, go watch those. <laughs> so not a whole lot actually has happened since the last time we recorded, but there's a little bit. So one thing that happened since last time is that the the people who were chosen as the evangelists have actually gotten their materials. So uh, was any of us an evangelist? Sadly, no. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... The to re, to sort of remind everybody that like the way you became an evangelist is you filled in a form with answers to I think was it ten I don't know it was yeah that's right ten questions yeah it was ten yeah ten very easy questions <laughs> <laughs> uh, then you solve a puzzle that had a very easy answer and so um, this was basically just like getting winning this is basically just like winning a lottery of a, of the normal sort. <laughs> Right. But it's kind of neat. I mean, like, it, it looks looks kind of nice. I would have not minded winning, but there are only 10 total. So, and it, it you know, it says, uh, I would like to thank you for your support. In translation, it says this, I bestow upon you the title of chosen preacher for deriving the sacred words. Um, and, and then uh, I think on the, on the note at the end, it says, please refrain from reselling your <laughs> chosen evangelist certificate. <laughs> <laughs> so... Haven't seen one on Bayi yet. Yeah. I think it's quite possible that uh, they won't, because your name's on it, right? I mean, like, it it says, you know, whatever metal you submitted. Right. So, I still think there are some of us out here <laughs> that are evangelizing for real. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, so it's cool, though. It's cool to see pictures. If you want to see photos of them, people have, people, some people have tweeted, you know, the ones that they got, and... uh of course, on the babymetalnews.com site, there's a little write-up of this as well. I think the next thing that, the next news bit that I thought was sort of interesting is that the 10th anniversary of Sakura Gakuin is coming up, and they're going to have a 10th anniversary memorial book. And that's primarily interesting because it's going to actually have some little words from all of the prior graduates. And there's one in particular that we have not heard anything from for quite some time. <laughs> yes. So, Yui Metal disappeared. Yui Mizuno disappeared also. <laughs> and uh, we have not heard a thing basically since Legend S. I mean, so if you, I guess if you want, really want to back a compute, it's since Big Fox Festival. I suppose if you don't count the written statement confirming her departure of the group. Okay, right. Yeah, so this, what was that, 2018, May 2018, is that right? Yeah, something like that. Some time ago. This is, you know, this is a product for customers. Uh, I'm expecting that there's nothing in there that 15 people haven't read and commented on. 
So it's not going to be sort of like spontaneous thoughts from Yui. Uh, but it is pretty much for certain, I think, going to be some thoughts from Yui because I think everybody is included, all 28 graduates. At the, at the very least, it will be a welcome proof of life. It's, <laughs> it's so rough to to like say it that way but i mean seriously what we've seen since may 2018 would not be different if she were not alive <laughs> you know i mean True. there's like we have she has completely fallen off the face of the earth yeah i guess oh the uh from what we i think we just recently heard too that there were going to be seven questions oh, from okay. each person right that sounds correct when does it come out it's re- releasing in early March. So, I mean, it's practically now. Okay. Uh, and I think Valentine's Day, the 14th, is the end of the pre-order period. And it is, uh, okay. It's 3,000 yen. I have gotten... I've ordered... How many did I order? <laughs> Some oh, number geez. more than one. I think it was two. <laughs> but uh, And I'm not going to be able to read it. But nevertheless, I sort of feel obliged. No. <laughs> Uh, okay, and then the uh, so another bit of news, yeah. Uh, the, the, we have the UK store has some news. Um, yeah, so um, on the UK baby metal store, there's some ten baby baby metal years merch available to pre-order, which includes like the ten baby metal, metal year CD vinyls and lots of different bundle sets, which include a hoodie, flag, poster, and a mug. So you, all of those items, you get a CD or a vinyl with it. There's also a special edition um, L- coloured LP, which is described as crystal clear, which looks quite nice. <laughs> but yeah, the, um, the, the T-shirt and the hoodie just has the 10 Baby Years logo on it, so it's pretty basic. But it's a shame it hasn't been put onto the US store, but so far it's just UK. But it does ship to the US and other countries. How does everybody feel about buying stuff from the UK store after it took them ages to get their last kind of batch of new stuff out. Yeah. Thing is, I didn't have a problem with mine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it did take a while, but then it was it was delayed. It was kind of the wrong time of the year and yeah, but it was it did suck for a lot of people. Mhm. And this is not covid related, right? No, I don't think well, so. This yeah. was, but it was a, it was around that time, wasn't it? Who knows? Yeah, it's difficult. I, I, uh, I, you know, I had some delay, I guess, from the U.S. store, but um, I didn't myself have problems, though I've definitely heard problems. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, you know, it's also the other thing about the U.S. store and probably the U.K. store too is it's it's. A lot of this stuff is just locally outsourced, you know, mm-hmm. so the U.S. store, the stuff the U.S. store sold was not, like, the quality of the shirts was not up to the quality of the shirts you get from Japan. I think oh, there were fewer no, colors no. even, right? Right. Did, did yeah, they determine some, that? Yeah, there were some color printing problems on a lot of the shirts. Uh, same with the patches, too, I remember. Hmm. Mm, yeah. But I think that is cool, though, that, that it's possible to get the mug by itself. It will sort of by itself. You have to. You have to also get a, an album. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you do. Well, at least we know the mug will be good quality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing I bought. Yeah, they bundle the album with everything. Like you cannot buy anything except with an album. And you know, Silly. <laughs> I assume that. Well, they're spiking their sales. Is what they're yeah. doing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. 
Got to pump them chart numbers up. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny. At any you either have none of these or you have like nine of them. <laughs> There's no nothing in between. <laughs> True. And that's Baby Meadow. Yeah. <laughs> do you think it's uh do you, do you think they're doing more of that because they've had to limit their live performances so much? I don't know. I think that could be part of it. Cuz that's where bands make their money, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Yeah, I guess they've always done it. That's that, mm. that is exactly what the, my hesitation is. Like you know, the forum, nothing about the forum was affected by COVID, <laughs> and yet you know, <laughs> I have a million copies of, well, and that whole tour, right? I mean, like every mm-hmm. time you bought a ticket, you got a copy of the CD. So I have a little, make a little fort out of the CDs. <laughs> <laughs> I do think there is some COVID-related expanding of merchandise going on. Uh, in that they're releasing things like dog bowls and leashes um, and other bits of random things for people to buy that they might not have otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think actually the um, like the the Wembley stream. Uh, and what else did they do? They did they did another one too? Tokyo Dome. Tokyo Dome. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't have done that. I bet if they weren't forced to. <laughs> right. Speaking mostly to the re-release of merch from those events. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, they probably wouldn't have done the stream either, but yeah, that's, that was in my head. <laughs> the way that connected was the, right. the t-shirts. <laughs> Every pandemic needs a dog bowl, says Under yeah. Carter in chat. <laughs> I I still think that uh, the baby net da-da-da things were pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, they were amusing. Koba really sort of playing a pretty hilarious character. <laughs> I well, so one of the things that I was chuckling about when you mentioned it is that the uh, so one of the things that they have on the on the um, UK store is this clear vinyl the crystal clear vinyl um, and in fact when I when I first was seeing this you know I I, I saw that they they had there were vinyls and there were shirts and there were mugs and uh, and and I saw the little photos of everything and one of the photos I could see you know is a twelve inch vinyl sleeve with a record poking out. And then there was the other one, um, which in fact is a 12-inch vinyl sleeve with the uh, clear one poking out. But it is so clear that I couldn't see (laughs) the vinyl part. So I I actually thought it was like, I thought it was a a 12-inch jacket for a CD because I could just see the label (laughs) in the middle. (laughs) Exactly what I thought. I was like, what's this one? It's this tiny little CD coming out of a huge cover. (laughs) I didn't even realize. Yeah. So... Anyway, that's exciting though. I mean, like, uh, it possibly is better, uh, particularly for people in the UK, I guess, to ship mugs from within, you know, like within the UK rather than mm-hmm. over the ocean. Mm-hmm. I guess in other merch-related news, I got the uh, things I ordered that were related to Budokan. Oh yeah, from Osmart. So they 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 are in your hands. They're in my hands. Yes. What'd you get? Uh, I got the the two artist shirts and the towel and the wristband. Very nice. Um, oh, yeah. did you not get the Fox charm? I did not get the Fox charm. Oh, it's really nice. I thought it was just going to be it? a bit of card on some string, but it's <laughs> yeah. not. That's exactly why I didn't get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's like a little sack. It's actually really nice. Oh, really? Yeah. I've seen some photos tweeted of it. Yeah. Yeah, apparently. I'm okay, so 
Uh, it's where I am. There's a lot of snow, and uh, with snow comes right. snow plows. <laughs> so um, I don't know if that made it through the microphone, but there a was a bit. snow plow going by. Uh, yeah, I, I ordered. I, I sent all that stuff to Tenso because I always mm. do because I never learn. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I don't get to see it. But Tenso did tell me that something arrived, and I only got the shirts. <laughs> Osmart did lower their uh, international shipping fees with DHL slightly for lighter weight packages. Yeah. Up to up to 12 US dollars I think cheaper for the lightest packages. Which yeah. is nice. Yeah, I don't know if I'm not sure how much that made it onto the podcast, but that that is one thing that's been a, like a constant complaint <laughs> about mm-hmm. them is that they have a oh, yeah. they have a minimum shipping cost and mm. it was I think it was like around 40 US dollars or something. Um, and what they've done is basically introduced a couple of lower tiers. So if you're ordering just a CD, you know, or just a flag or something, it's not $40 right. to ship. So that's good. Now that we're at a point where I, I have no forecast for any, like, I, I don't know that there's anything I'm going to buy, but <laughs> I'm sure something else will come up. It just when you think you're done, something else is going to come out. It's going to tempt you. Yeah. Well, that's why I always ship to Tenso because I, I, I never trust that there's not going to be four <laughs> other things. <laughs> but see, somebody's asking if I buy merch. Uh, not really. I buy, you know, just just the music and the uh, videos. I have a, a flag and a shirt, you know, just the sort of the one T-shirts and stuff like that. But I don't tend to to get a lot of uh, the other bits and pieces. So you have, but you have the one shirts. So yes. does that mean you are you've sprung for the one? I have, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I have a confession to make, and and uh, which you're going to be appalled by, <laughs> which is that I have never seen them live. Oh no! I was going to ask. Never. That, that was one of the early yeah. things I was going to ask. So, so uh, how long have you been um, sort of following the band? Uh, about five years. Um, but. So, you know, I mean, I've been aware of them for, for quite a while, but for yeah. one reason or another, I have always missed them. Mm. You know, because they actually, I'm in Charlotte. They played in Charlotte. I was, yeah, I was going to say they were right there. <laughs> at, the, at the Fillmore, where I've seen loads of bands um, at the Fillmore, but I was away at the time, so I didn't see them. And, oh, that's super um, frustrating. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a, a number, we were actually going to be in Japan this year, and I had hoped to, to see them then. And then, of course, mm-hmm. COVID uh, buggered that. So, um, so no. So, alas, <laughs> no. Yeah, that would, that, I mean, it's almost worse <laughs> that they, mm. that they like came next door to you mm-hmm. <laughs> and you weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, hopefully, there, there will be a time in the near future when, it will be possible to see them live again. Yeah. You're that not alone, though. There's plenty of fans out there who've been following the group for a long time and mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to see them. Yeah. It's It'll not happen. easy. So I, I had a sort of similarly lucky thing happen to me, which is they came to Boston where I am. Uh, and, you mm-hmm. know, Boston's big enough that that's not a super su- big surprise. But I think they only had come once before, and I learned of them after that. So th- when I first learned of them, I was fairly convinced, all right, I missed them by nine months because i didn't know who they were when they were here mm-hmm. and this is based on little kids so i'm never going to get a chance to see them again <laughs> so when the um <laughs> mm-hmm. uh like when the when the charlotte 
announcement came out. That was, there was a time actually when the Charlotte announcement was the only one we knew about because it leaked early. And, um, you know, it sounded, it seemed insane, but I was like, all right, well, I'm going to that. Absolutely. I don't care because there's may be no other chance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there weirdly, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I'd been there, but alas, no. <laughs> yeah. That it's fun to have a chance to hang out in the, in the line ahead of these shows. That's actually, that's one of the things that, you know, we often talk about is that it's kind of the fan interaction more than anything because mm-hmm. the show is what, 15, eight minutes long and then it's over. Right. 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 But dear, you have all day in the, in the line ahead of time. So we're coming up on Budokan three and four, but they haven't happened yet. So we're, as we're recording, we're between the first two shows at the Budokan and the third one. So, mm-hmm. and I think all of them, all of them have been moved a little bit earlier in the day just for, mm-hmm. um, yeah, <clears throat> I think in order to get, let people get home <laughs> in time for the curfew. Yeah. They extended the state of emergency. Uh, yeah. so they had to move these shows up like they did the first two. Yeah. Which, you know, how, how, <laughs> how predictable that was. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, I'm amazed the shows are still happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I have seriously mixed feelings about that, but uh mm. I guess there's no there was no known tragedies from the first two. So Well, maybe I should uh now that we're in the middle of our discussion, uh, let me let me quickly introduce uh AJ Hartley, who has been <laughs> talking with us for a bit. But um so uh, A.J. Hartley is a novelist and a Shakespeare scholar, teaches college, uh, you know, literature classes, but also uh, is a prolific novelist and, in fact, actually has worked with um, Tong DeLong, one of the founding members of Blink-182. So there's a another interesting connection into um, uh, the music world, but uh, they've co-authored a, a couple of uh, novels. Uh, but the thing that brought uh, A.J. to our attention, mostly, I think, was a... a now fairly extended series of videos looking uh doing a fairly deep dive on songs individually kind of working through the the um albums so i guess we're partway through metal resistance now and they're really interesting so uh we've mentioned them on prior episodes uh but they're 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 still coming out and they're still very interesting so basically we just wanted to to talk a little bit about about that about um you know not necessarily the specific songs um but just kind of your own background and that that sort of thing. I guess now I'm addressing AJ when I say your your own background. <laughs> but yeah, so sure. Welcome yeah. aboard, uh, and thanks for doing those. I mean, like I I have, they're really really interesting. Um, you have brought to them a fair amount of context that we lack. You know that that you, so you've lived in Japan for some time and have some some sense of the culture. You know the you know the language to an extent. You know that we do not. <laughs> so. Um, so that's been really that's been really useful to have this kind of mixed um, perspective on it. That that like you know Japan well enough to look at it from a Japanese perspective a bit, but uh, also you know we understand you from the Western perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I, I I'm somewhat familiar with Japanese culture and and language, but mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I I'm probably I'm not seeing it the way a Japanese person would see it, obviously, sure. um, but. 
trying to sort of mediate. But, and I think initially, you know, I was thinking very much, I just assumed that the audience for those things would be English speaking, mm-hmm. you know, UK, US and, and, and such. And so I, I was really surprised when I started looking at the analytics and seeing that off 75, 80% of the audience was in Japan. That's wild. <laughs> right? Oh, so analytics on and your own I, videos. I was re- yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so I was like, should I be changing the way I'm trying to talk about this? Because now I'm trying to – so what am I'm explaining J- Japan to Japanese people? This doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Though I guess in a sense, and, and I, in explaining an outsider's perspective on Japan to Japanese people, I suppose they might find interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think we, we certainly do try to eavesdrop a little bit on, you know – uh, not I say we in a larger sense. I actually haven't really spent much time like looking at what the Japanese fans say, but I mean, like we we do find it interesting to see what they think of whatever various news things are happening. But I can imagine that it goes the other way too. That they're like, oh, you know, what are they saying? There's a there's an, uh, a site that kind of watches things that go on in these Discord chat rooms and things that go on on the subreddit, and uh, they translate you know whatever seems interesting about the mm. um, the current topics and so there's this funny little loop that you can see like we we say something in the in the discord and it gets translated into japanese on it's uh, the site's mm. called baby metal eyes and uh, uh but it's mm. basically just sort of looking at the overseas fan reactions and then in order to see what they're saying you know we have to reverse translate it back to english and it becomes a total mess <laughs> but it is it is funny though, to see what they pick out and and you know then there's often some little commentaries on it, but uh, it's also a little disturbing because anything you type in the Discord and in the sort of main fan Discord uh, might be seen and translated and <laughs> commented on. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But I think that, I do think that there's a lot of interest um, in Japan, to, you know, to hear what uh, the overseas fans think. There's a similar um, percentage for my videos as well. It's so about seventy-seven percent is all from Japan. That's yeah, but you're much cuter than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I guess when I look for stuff, um, what I mostly find, you know, things like unboxings, things like, you know, uh, concert footage and that kind of stuff, most of what I find is from, you know, the outside Japan world. You know, I guess mm. there's... Yeah. So so it's possible that's also it. If, if they want to watch an unboxing, they're going to watch your channel, right? <laughs> yeah. Because for some reason, you know, we we were commenting on this when um, uh, some of the early magazines were coming out that, you know, the magazine came out, we could tell all the people in Japan had them because everybody tweeted a photo of the cover and nobody tweeted any photos of anything inside. Mm, right. <laughs> it was totally <laughs> frustrating. Yeah. If you're wondering, I've taken the time to look it up. Our current audience breakdown is 43% from Japan. For the podcast. Oh, look at that. Interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I was saying that before, I was I was trying to phrase it carefully to not, to not suggest that you had a, a Japanese perspective, but you do, your um ability to kind of see what's happening, I think, is definitely improved by having, you know, having the connections that you do with Japan. How, how long were you there? Uh, I lived there for two years. Um, that was a long time ago. I, I've been back, I don't know what, six or seven times since. Um, 
and I could be going back, you know, long term um, in the next couple of years, but that's pending some uh, some other things. So I don't want to say too much about that. Sure. But yeah, I might I might be going to a Japanese university for a little while. Mm. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. 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 That would be that would be nice to uh to actually be sort of based there in in some way for some extended period of time. I mean like uh I've I've been I think, you know, all of us but you have been on only short trips, you know, so there's there's right. no home base. You can't you can't see things at your leisure. You pretty much, you know, have to get fit everything in before the plane takes you home. Yeah, and I think, you know, the prospect of of being there for quite a long time now is very different from when I was there first cuz, you know, when I when I was there originally, there was no internet, you know. Mm-hmm. No no email, no I mean phones were expensive to use internationally. I I think when I first moved there, I remember being taken from Tokyo to the town where I was going to be living by sort of representative of my school. And he basically says, here's your apartment. Here's how you, here's the, this is where the grocery store is. Here's how you work your bath and stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> and then he was like, and, and then he was like, you know, school starts in six weeks. See you then. Wow. And I, <laughs> I, and I was just, and I swear to God, I didn't speak to another human being for about a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually quite traumatic, you know, because I knew nothing about Japan before I arrived, really. And I was in a relatively rural area where people sort of completely freaked out every time they saw me. Oh, and wow. um, it was, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad I stayed for the second year, but the, at times it was it was quite hard. And so, you know, the prospect of going back when there are better digital lifelines to keep you connected to your own culture as well, mm-hmm. I think is is quite appealing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that would be quite different. I mean, also going back, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be your, like, you, you know something about Japan at this point. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I, I definitely would feel that. I was I was there, but I didn't. You know, I was there for I don't know what, four or five days or something like. So it was very short, um, mm. and I you know I didn't know anything. I sort of like walked around in the in the gardens and took photos of things and thought it was funny that there was a big silver Mister mm-hmm. Donut store and things. And then uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> then I mean, uh, yeah, but if I went back now, there are all these things I would want to do. You know, like things I would want to visit, right. sites I would want to see, and. Like I, I know so much more now that, it, that I could see myself. It would be a, a very different experience. I don't know when I when mm. I'm going to be back there though. It's so expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I say, we had planned to be there this year, uh, but that's not going to happen now. I don't think. But maybe next. Yeah. Learning about your first trip to Japan, I'm I'm curious because it almost sounds like you you took like a something like the jet program or something to get over there the first time, um, unrelated to your current career. Yeah. Uh, how did you get over there the first time? So yeah, the first time it was it was only I think the second year that the jet program existed. Okay, oh, so, so it was, it was yeah. So uh, it, so it was it was the sort of fledgling, and I think actually the previous year it had been called something else. Mm. So it was a sort of new initiative, um, and and they were still sort of figuring out a lot of the sort of logistical 
teething issues. I remember, you know, there were some Australians with us on in that first group who mm-hmm. had to go home because they couldn't figure out because the they couldn't come to some sort of tax deal mm. with the Japanese oh, government. Wow. So the the Australians were being taxed at both ends, which was you know, yeah, that sounds terrible. Financially impossible. So there was a, yeah. So there was a lot of stuff that was still being worked out. And but yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. I I, um, I was interviewed at the uh, Japanese embassy in London, mm. and then put on a plane and uh, sent to Tokyo. You know, um, and that we had sort of a week's orientation um, at the. Ko Plaza Hotel, mm-hmm. and then shipped off to our various regions. And I think there were about um, in in I was in Yamanashi Prefecture, which is about okay. two hours or west of Tokyo, yeah. and uh, at sort of the, it's the landlocked side of Mount Fuji. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in that whole prefecture, I think there were maybe six of us. And oh, wow. they were all scattered all over the place. Sure. So, you know, when I first got there, I I I had no way of contacting any of the other foreigners. <laughs> wow. Who, you know. Uh so yeah, it was it was sort of a trial by ordeal a little bit, you know. And I lost, I think, um, like three stone. <laughs> wow. Which is like nearly <laughs> forty pounds or something ridiculous. <laughs> And the first few months, because I had no idea, I was like walking around the supermarket and thinking, I, I don't, is that food? I don't know. I, <laughs> plus, you know, I'm not paying that. I could I could put a down payment on a peach for that. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, the peaches. That's another story. So, <laughs> it was, so, yeah, and I had, I didn't understand how much I was being paid or how mm. I was being paid and... So it was it was it was quite alarming, you know. But in uh, obviously great, and by the end of the first year, I felt like I was just starting to figure out what was going on, and I needed to stay a second year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, super interesting. Um, I, yeah. I applied for the jet program, and I and I can't imagine doing something like that without, like you said, the the kind of digital lifelines we have, um, not only back to our own cultures, but just to other people mm-hmm. and. Uh, navigating you know using something like google maps to get around when um, when did you apply for it um, i applied oh gosh that was three years ago now um, i actually i got accepted um, i had to turn it down because of a family emergency at the last minute um so i'm a little mm-hmm. gutted about that um but I, but i did almost end up over there doing that interesting that's i guess more recent that's kind of, than I thought actually yeah that's that's kind of why my jet um senses tingled when you were kind of telling your story about ending up in a rural town and not knowing what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Like, that sounds exactly like what was going to happen to me. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I should, it might yeah. be worth actually pointing out just in case there's anyone out there who doesn't know what jet is. It's a, it's a um, program that, that brings people into Japan to teach English. Um, so it's, it's a common thing the for Japan people to do. Exchange and teaching college. program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does it sound yeah. like? The Japan exchange and teaching yeah. program. Okay. Um, and, and if, because I was there at the very beginning of it, the assumption was that I would have absolutely no idea what I was doing. And mm. I mean, I had no Japanese at all. <laughs> wow. When I, right? Which I, I think, you know, it, it's probably much more competitive now because people study Japanese mm-hmm. in college. And, 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 you know, in the 80s, that just wasn't a thing, you know? Sure. One of the reasons that I applied for it was because I thought I didn't have enough 
uh, European languages to go. And I traveled a lot in Europe already, um, but I, I, I couldn't compete with the people who had studied French and Italian and Spanish and German mm -hmm. at, at college, you know? Uh, so I thought, well, I'll apply for this Japan thing <laughs> since, <laughs> since it, nobody has any Japanese yeah. at all, you know, in those days, certainly in the UK, maybe, maybe, maybe it was different in the U S but in the UK, uh, it, it felt like that. So yeah, that's, I got in by being fraction, by being no less incompetent than anybody else. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I don't have a very good sense of how competitive it is, but probably it is more so now. You're right. Yeah, they, they publish statistics. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's a forty between forty and sixty percent acceptance on average in applicants, okay. at least in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but it, that does seem like you know if if you are listening to this and you know are approaching that point in your life when you might be able to apply for this, um, it's it, uh, people really like it. It's it's a pretty good deal. Uh, they pay you, they give you a place to live and you can, you get, a, you get some experience teaching and they, they, you know, get to learn English. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. With, with, yeah, I don't want to risk turning this into a, the, the jet podcast here, but I will say if you're going to go teach English, that's probably the best program to do it. It pays the most and they actually have the infrastructure in place to take care of you. Mm -hmm. I don't know of anything like this in any other country either. I mean, like, uh, this yeah i i've for a long time heard about this program uh in japan to teach you know english in japan but um uh the the in the chat it has been suggested that korea has it as well yes yeah, so, surprised uh, me but i hadn't um uh, hadn't heard of it yeah, i think i think thailand has something similar as well um several asian countries i think yeah. do this um so i guess we should we should pivot off of jet and actually get back to baby metal here <laughs> <laughs> that was an sure. interesting aside though thanks for entertaining that um yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess we should start kind of where 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 it began for you. How did you find baby metal? Um, obviously, it wasn't when you were in Japan the first time uh, in the eighties. Um, so how did you come across the group? Because no, none of them had been born. <laughs> yeah, <that's> yeah. Kind <laughs> <of fair. laughs> uh, I you know I, I like a lot of people. Uh, they came across my sort of social media feed about you know when when Gimme Chocolate sort of broke. Um, I remember, I, and I would have, well, when it really, when was that? 2016, when it really sort of took off. Um, so that was, that was kind of my in. Um, and I, um, and I was sort of a, a passive observer for, I mean, I'm, I'm in a sense, I still am because it's just the nature of my personality, <laughs> but the, uh, but, but, you know, initially it took me a little while to start to, to dig a little deeper and, um, and discover more of the stuff and, and, and find that there was something going on there that, that, um, I found sort of exciting and baffling and mm. fascinating and, and and moving in ways that I couldn't completely articulate to myself, and I think that that's the origin of the videos. Really, mm -hmm. I mean, they came out of um, I didn't think about doing them at all until like what August September of last year, and um, and I think they sort of emerged out of COVID isolation and mm. you know sitting in a mostly empty house, my son going to college and. Uh, and I was directing a show, which meant that I had written a book over the summer, but um, 
I, I know that when I'm directing a show, I can't take on another big creative project. So I was kind of bouncing off the walls and thought, well, what am I going to do to uh, to keep myself um, engaged with something artistic of some sort? And and I, I kept coming back to this band, you know, that that, <laughs> that I had been listening to off and on, and and wrestling with and try and and I think that you know it began with me trying to articulate to myself why I liked it and why I thought it was worth more attention than some people, including some fans, were giving it. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, you know you see a. Of course, if you're on any of the sort of Facebook groups or anything like that, there's this sort of constant stream of pictures and everybody celebrating their cuteness. <laughs> um, and I'm like, okay, yeah, um, but there's there's more to this that I think is worth talking about, you know. Um, and um, and initially, I wasn't setting out to do like an entire series or anything like that. I, I I remember listening to going back and listening to some of the songs off the first album and listening to Doki Doki Morning and that line, Shurenai Furiwa Kirai Kirai, hmm. you know, and I thought that's really interesting, you know, for, for, um, uh, uh, for, for this particular band to be saying, I hate pretending to be clueless, you know? <laughs> I hate mm-hmm. pretending not to know stuff. And it's so Japanese and so Japanese <laughs> female, you know? And and in a weird kind of way, it's kind of it, sort of pushing back at the kawaii stuff a little bit, you know? And and I thought that's something to talk about there. Um, so that was kind of, you know, the, the reason that I did the first one, just for sort of my own amusement. And, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, people were sort of responding and, and being – being nice about it. So I thought, well, I'll do some more. And so, you know, that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's, that's a great transition into kind of what I wanted to talk about with you the most was, uh, getting into the lyrics a little bit and learning more about what you've discovered. So I guess right off the bat, what kind of things distinguish baby metals lyrics from, you know, not only other metal groups, um, but you know, other music in general, uh, that stand out to you. Hmm. That's a good question. I, I mean, I think you know, as you guys know, in some better than I do, uh, that it, it's almost impossible to separate the music from the performance, right? Mm-hmm. And by performance, I mean the sort of physical presence on stage and the choreography and stuff, which is all sort of built into the songs. So one of the things I think that that makes them different is the way that it's almost like watching musical theater. You know, where the it, it seems like the sort of visual dimensions are conceived almost simultaneous with the song, right? That you, you're seeing an entire package in ways that you don't get with most bands, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess it's that sort of the way that they ride that line between uh, band and idol group, in, in a sense. Um, and that... that by definition, is going to shape the nature of the songs themselves and how those songs are written and how they're performed, um, which I think makes them different. But but I, I also think that they're participating in a larger musical culture, and that's one of the things that, that interests me uh, when I'm talking about them, 
And I, you know, some of the time I, I'm conscious that they're responding to specifically Japanese musical culture about which I know less than I should, but, <laughs> um, but also, you, you know, music is a global thing to, in a, a lot of ways. So if they're drawing on, uh, on, on Western, uh, popular music and rock and roll tropes as well, which, you know, I think you can sort of track and, and, and find the way that they're sort of carving out their little niche, this their own particular brand of hybridity, which I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. So the mm. song becomes a kind of intersection for me of a lot of different things, you know, some of them expressly Japanese, some less so, and some of it's lyrical and musical, but it's also the performance component and, uh, you know, the instrumentation and, the power of Sue's voice. I think that that's what pulls me in more than anything. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, I kind of want to expand on that just a little bit. Um, we all have, I think an idea of what songs we think kind of encapsulate and best represent everything you just talked about, about baby metal. What, what do you think mm. is the song or songs that kind of encapsulate those ideas? Huh. Uh, I hesitate to say it because it doesn't include uh, Yui and Moa, but I I come back to Akatsuki all the time, mm. um, mm-hmm. as a song that 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 pays homage to, you know, ex Japan and um, and other kinds of metal uh, music and rock and roll music generally, but also that just. There's so much of what I think of as being baby metal is going on in that song. Those sort of the, the 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 soaring vocal and the sheer sort of instrumental virtuosity and the way that they underscore and enhance the emotional content of the of the vocal performance. Mm-hmm. And then you know other songs like Megatsune, you know, which obviously is sort of very emblematic of of what the entire band is about um, and the way that that uses the Yui and Moa, um, for want of a better term, backing vocal Mm -hmm. to create that sort of um, uh, interactive soundscape to the the song, but also just the the content of it, the way that, again, it's sort of hyper-concerned with its own Japanese-ness and its own femininity and its... uh, place in musical culture that stuff i find really interesting and in some ways it's perhaps why i find the earlier stuff more compelling than some of the most recent which Mm. i kind of hope is going to change a little i mean i'm all in favor of the band evolving and going in different directions but um i don't want them to lose that specifically japanese rooted quality you know yeah yeah, that's interesting. I I know that um, there's a fair amount, particularly in the early stuff, of illusions and interactions with like things in their environment. I mean, like there there's a lot of kind of like borrowed concepts, and uh, I remember being completely blown away by discovering that Ijume Dome Zetai uh, was actually basically just like it's it's a kind of like a a joke on an anti drug campaign <laughs> that everybody yeah. who heard the song would have seen. And you yeah. know, it just completely just went you know miles over my head. You know, uh, so the, like, there's always but, what I what I do kind of like about this is that one of the things that it does does uh, inter- intersect with is a light comedy. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> like they're they're very serious about what they do and they do it all very well and the, everything is very well crafted but the but you know it's it but it also is it's also lighthearted in a way yeah yeah and and i you know and i, I think that's sort of what i try to to do is to try and b- draw on some of those those sort of contextual frames whether they're japanese or whether it's just you know i mean in the end i'm only speaking for myself mm-hmm. you know um so if i'm going to if a song reminds me of other songs not from Japanese culture, then I, I might find I might want to bring those in just to sort of set them up. Not to say, oh, the band are definitely somehow imitating or responding to this other song, but to say, you know, for me as an audience member, there's a kind of dialogue taking place between these different recordings. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. The question I always ask other fans that I've not like met before is always, what is your favourite song? It's pretty simple, but it's a very hard question. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Other, other than the ones that I have uh, already mentioned, mm-hmm. um, Road of Resistance, maybe? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, very powerful song. Yeah, No Rain, No Rainbow. Um, interesting. Maybe. Interesting. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm being told I'm supposed to say song four. Right. <laughs> it is. I mean, it, it is a surprisingly difficult um, question because you know, anytime, if you pick one, then you have not picked all the rest. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and actually, one of the things that I found about doing the videos is that sometimes I come out liking a song more than I did when I went into it just because I've been sort of living with it for a week mm. or two and thinking yeah. about it, reflecting on it and poking and saying, well, okay, what am I, what am I going to say? Cause you know, the rule for the videos is if I don't have anything to say or for that matter, if nobody cares what I'm going to say, then I'm not going to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so long as I have things to say about them, I'll continue to do them. But, but sometimes, you know, I, I did one a few weeks ago, on uh, Metataro, and and I was like, I don't have anything to say about this song, <laughs> you know. And, and in in all honesty, I don't particularly like it. I mean, I I see the the fun of it in performance, but it's not a song that I would choose to listen to if I'm just listening to the it. It's a song I might skip, right? You know. Mm. Um, but in the process of thinking about it and digging into it a little bit, um, and and exploring it. I actually found myself liking it a lot more, you know, which I think is a good test of of the richness of any kind of uh, art, right? That if you can live with it for a while and it gets better rather than you sort of, that that it flattens out and and you lose interest, then there's there's some value there. Mm -hmm. It does make me wonder a little bit about, like, when you reach Metal Galaxy... (laughs) You know, mm. how deep is homage and I really going to get? <laughs> yeah. Let me see. Okay. So if you'd asked me what your least favorite song was. <laughs> no. tip, tip of my tongue. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. No, that's interesting. I, I want to, I want to poke that a little bit. I'm not, I'm not going to put you on the spot and say homage and I is your least favorite song. Um, but one of the questions I wanted to ask is which songs for you fall short of being interesting. Um, and do you think 
that that opinion is reflective on your experience in Japan, your understanding of the language? Uh, that's a good question. Um, probably, yeah, I, I think so. I think um, that it's like reading a book, you know, that, that I, I find that if I'm, if, I'm gonna, if I'm in a bookstore trying to decide what I'm going to read and I pick up a book, I'm always going to read the first page because mm. regardless of the story, I want there to be something that holds my attention on the sentence level. Mm-hmm. right something interesting that's going on that's going to make me enjoy the actual experience of reading the book not just the process by which the story is delivered if if that makes sense sure. and i feel the same way about the about the music you know that that there's got to be something there's got to be it, it maybe it doesn't have to be the lyric maybe it can be the instrumental work or it may be the vocal quality or or something but there's got to be something preferably two of the three <laughs> going on in any song to really get me interested in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Occasionally you get away with one, but, um, you know, Omajinai, uh, <laughs> not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, f- for me, you know, it, it, and, and some people love that song and all credit, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and again, I can see the fun of it live. But yeah. it's not a song that I particularly want to, to to listen to. It always makes me feel like I'm sort of stumbling past a drunken party on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, but, yeah that's what um, makes it so fun. <laughs> 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 and 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 the the fun of it, you know, exactly. I, I I totally, you know, as I said, I'm only speaking for myself. And what people enjoy is not my. You know that that's not my purview. I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy this song, no, no. of course. You know, but just in terms of, un- unfortunately, my my tendency to sort of analyze and try to sort of extract meaning from things is a kind of occupational hazard, or a, a pers- <laughs> mm-hmm. personal pathology. You know, um, so I I do find myself sometimes looking for richness and and depth and complexity to things, and and that's not always a fair assessment you know yeah but unfortunately that's who i am <laughs> yeah i guess well, when i think about imagine i think uh, like a uh, part of what like the the humor of it is there's there's a it's it's a funny thing it's like a it's like a yep. it's in a sense it's it exists only in the ridiculousness of it yeah um so, I, so I, like, there's a part of me also <laughs> i i i struggle with the translation of taihenda into oh my gosh mm. because ta- taihenda is a phrase that you hear in japan all the time uh-huh. and oh my gosh to me sounds cartoonish it sounds sort of weirdly old-fashioned not something that people actually say that much i know some people do but you know mm-hmm. plus it also accentuates the second syllable in ways that really bothers me <laughs> interesting because i'm a scansion fiend <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's. It, it, I think that that is kind of interesting. That so they they have made some the more sort of forays into using English uh, as mm-hmm. the years mm-hmm. went on. Uh, so there's the the released version of Elevator Girl has English lyrics, uh, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because they're not they're not actually a translation. They're just something different. Um, the mm-hmm. one has, you know, there's yep. an English version of the one as well, and it, and even in the non-English version, it has a lot of English in it. But one thing that's interesting about that is that it's, at least from a native English speaker's perspective, it's kind of clunky <laughs> English. 
like I, I think that is also sort of interesting that it's not um you know it seems like if you have a team of people <laughs> working on this stuff uh you could make something that sounded a little less clunky yeah and I, I mean I, I think this this you know at the risk of turning back to the jet program uh-huh. <laughs> <and> th- <laughs> th- this speaks to something about the way that English is taught in mm-hmm. Japan right and when I first went there I remember somebody saying to me English is taught as if it's a dead language and I couldn't understand mm. how that was possible and then I learned <laughs> because it really was mm. it, it, it's amazing to me you know that that most Japanese people have what 10 years of school English mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them do not feel comfortable speaking at all uh, because they're the way that they're taught English is strictly on paper or in print, I should say. And it's frequently taught as a series of sort of grammatical jigsaw puzzles, you know, not all of which I was any good at, you know. <laughs> I, I remember being presented with a quiz and it said, you know, fill, f- fill in the blank. There is no one blank loves his parents. Huh. And I was like, <laughs> What? <laughs> And I was like, there's no one who loves his parents? And they're like, no, 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 that's stupid. It's like, okay, so what's the answer? Well, the answer is but. The answer is but. There is no one but loves his parents. And I'm like, okay, but that's not something anybody would ever say. (laughs) Right. Right. You know? So I think sometimes with the translation, there's a sort of weird sort of bookish dictionary definition kind of approach and i think well the two things going on right that that some of the songs that feature a lot of english words and phrases but they don't really function as english words and phrases that there's the sort of janglish mm-hmm. you know that sort of weird uh, words that have been appropriated but their meaning has sort of shifted or the they they have a sort of cool association but they don't really mean much of anything you know and you, you hear that a lot in 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 baby metal songs and it's and that's different, I think, from when they're using English as English. But it's not always clear that the difference between the two is not always clear. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. Um, I I I was supposed to do a video on uh, from dusk till dawn. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good luck. <laughs> a week or so, and I and I well, exactly. You know, I'm like I I what's the point? I mean, since most of what I I do is is focused on 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 meaning and therefore on words a lot of the time. I, what's the point of me making a video about a song where we can't even agree what the words are? Right. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I see people sort of, you know, on, online, there are lots of, of versions where people have said, here's what I think I'm hearing. And either I don't agree with what they think they're hearing, or I can sort of agree with what they think they're hearing, but it doesn't actually make sense as English. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? And so, uh, um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I find that uh, sort of paralyzing <laughs> in some ways. And and part of me says, you know, just do the Japanese thing. Don't don't feel like in order to have universal appeal, you have to use the most commonly spoken language, mm-hmm. you know, especially if that's going to make the song somehow less interesting. Well, yeah, I, I, I wondered about that. That reminds me of something that that I think about sometimes, which is that my experience uh, and you know all of our experiences really w- with listening to them is actually quite 
different from a Japanese speaker's experience. You know, there's a, there's a, yep. like an exotic mystery to what they're saying that uh, doesn't translate <laughs> if you're, you know, if they're just speaking your own language. Mm-hmm. Though, of course, often the Japanese that they that they use in the songs is a sort of odd combination of of contemporary slang and sort of archaic epic literary <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so mm. so it's never really the language that people ordinarily speak i don't think <laughs> <laughs> but that's i mean that's cool too that there's you know like the, that's the sort of thing you know what something some song that was in english used sort of like shakespearean phrasing or whatever we would feel that as that's oddly epic yeah. or, or like archaic or something. Yeah. Um, like Mumford and Son. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mumford and Son's always dropping little bits of Shakespeare in. And it's often weird, you know, it's like stars hide your fires. Really? I don't <laughs> Why is this song about the moment where we're about to kill a Scottish king? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's actually interesting. That's one of the questions I had for you as well is, um, you know, being, a Shakespearean professor and historian, how do you think that's informed your analysis and your opinion of what's going on with baby metal? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I am in all things a little odd. Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, part of what I like about baby metal, as I've said before, is that sort of hybridity, the fact that they're always sort of between categories somehow. And, and I am too, in my own way. And one of the ways, I mean, my, my PhD is in English, but I'm actually now in a theatre department and most of my writing as a scholar is on sort of performance issues, mm. theory and, and performance history. So, you know, and I do a lot of directing and dramaturgy. So um, my sense of Shakespeare is less strictly textual than it is as a script, mm-hmm. right? As the, the beginnings of an art object rather than the end. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So I don't tend to study the the play text as a closed, as a finite, as a finished thing. I tend to st- study it as the starting point of something new. Um, mm. And so, you know, I'm I'm really interested, and that's why I think you know that that the fact that Baby Metal's performance dimension is so sort of integrated into the songs that it's it's difficult to separate the two. Uh, appeals to me as a performance person, you know, um, sure. and, 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 and thinking about the way that meaning is created with things other than words, mm. right. Mm-hmm. That the, the tonality of a moment, whether it's affected by music or light or whatever, an attitude, you know, that you can take any line from Shakespeare and do it any number of different ways and get radically different meanings out of it in performance. Right. And the way that that dynamic is shaped by the presence of the audience and and all that kind of stuff, I think, actually um, suits the way that I think about a lot of music and 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 baby metal in particular. I think that's super mm. interesting. I think a lot of the times, uh, and with fans I've encountered in this fandom, their opinions over certain songs and the music in general changes dramatically after they see a live performance, whether that be in person or mm. watching a concert for the first time. Um, and I mm-hmm. think yep. you would actually, I'd love to have you back on after your first concert 
yeah. to hear if your opinions have changed at all. Because I think, yeah, I'd love to hear that. Because I think it would actually be really interesting and different, a different experience for most people or most other answers we get when I ask people that question. You know, what did you think before you saw them live? Uh, because I think yeah. it would offer a, a, a different and more unique perspective. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that's to, in a way that's always true of live performance, anyway, right? I mean, uh, sure. Uh, a, a week or so ago, a Japanese fan emailed me um, a couple of times, having been to both the two Budokan shows. Mm-hmm. Mm. And he talked about how different the experience was from one night to the next because of where he was sitting. Mm. You know, sure. That's um, interesting. Even though the performance was, as closely as possible, pretty much identical, you know? But what he could see and where, you know, and that's just, I mean, it sounds obvious. It's common sense in a way. But, you know, if you spend any time with performers um, of any kind, you will know that there is no such thing as a uh, a repeat performance, mm-hmm. right? It's always going to change according to things that happen and don't happen when they're supposed to, the way the audience responds and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think that, you know, even if I've seen a, a song performed multiple times on video, it's going to feel very, very different yeah. in person, you know? Um, uh, so yeah, it's an extension of the same principle, I suppose. Yeah. I wonder if your uh, impression of homage and I would change <laughs> after seeing it. I'm in sure person. it would. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it would because you know, everybody says, Oh, it's so much fun in concert. And I get mm-hmm. that. It, it presents me with the same problem in terms of if I continue to do these videos, what do I do when I get to that song? Sure. Because in all likelihood, I'm not going to have that much to say about it simply as a piece of music, you know? Mm, I, I mean, right. maybe I'll find things. Maybe, maybe, maybe by then I will have changed my, <laughs> my mind. Uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting point as well. You know, uh, one of the things, you know, or something that is said often is, you know, once you know how the sausage is made, you don't necessarily want to have the sausage anymore. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I guess you kind of know, to use the same analogy, how the sausage is made with what Baby Metal's doing, not only in performance, but lyrically um, and things mm. like that. Do you find it difficult to kind of take a step back and just enjoy and absorb yourself into the music? Or are you always just kind of on and wanting to be analytical? Yeah, I, I mean, a part of me, a part of me does, you know, constantly sort of slide back towards the analytical, and that's just my problem. It's not, <laughs> it's not anything that anybody else should have to deal with. But you know, um, if I'm going to make one of these videos, I'll listen. I'll start. I'll you know make a point of going back to the song and listening to it, and reading about it, and finding what I can a week or so before I actually make the video, and just sort of let it percolate and see what what comes to mind and see whether I have anything I think is worth, you know, saying. Mm-hmm. I usually don't, but I'm going to make the video anyway. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's um, almost almost like a running joke. You know, you'd start off saying, well, I don't think I have anything much to say about this. And the video ends like 59 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 If it goes without saying, hardly I'll say it anyway. Um, so, but, but, and then I think usually the pattern is that having done that, I'll then walk away from that song for a little while. And if I'm happen to be listening to the album while I'm walking the dog or something, I may skip that particular song. Mm-hmm. But usually after a couple of weeks go by and then I'm I'm ready to go back. And partly that's because I'm very, very old and I don't remember anything for more than about 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so that by then I'm like, oh, this is a great song. I've never heard this before. Yeah. Sort of so. like a gift to be able to re-experience it anew. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that you were talking about uh, the, you know, sort of being a little bit more in the in the kind of performance world, you know, sort of professionally, because um, that's it occurred to me that that's one of the things that we tend not to talk that much about. I mean, we, we talk a lot about nuances of the vocals and we talk about the instrumentation and the lyrics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But um, these shows that they put on are, I mean, it's sort of like we silently appreciate their fabulousness, (laughs) but, but Mm -hmm. I mean, there, it seems like there's gotta be a lot to talk about in terms of like choices they made of like where to put people on the stage, how to have them move, where the bridges should, should be (laughs) ideally. Yeah. That sort of thing. And and I would, I would love to spend more time talking about stuff like that. The difficulty, as I'm sure you know, is that the moment you, you try to deconstruct a single performance, you fall foul of copyright issues, you know, which is why Mm. most of my videos increasingly are based on other people's compilations of multiple shows because that way you don't get tagged for copyright infringement. So long yeah. as I break it up, you know, um, and you're not represent, you're not showing a single performance. But on the couple of occasions that um, I, I've y- used a single show as the basis of the video, it has been immediately flagged and and pulled out. And it's just like, yeah, I you know, it's not ideal. I would much rather focus on a single show and talk about what that particular thing is doing. Mm. But um, it's, you know, it gets frustrating and demoralizing after yeah. a while when you're, it, it keeps getting yanked, you know, and it's automatic, you know, the, the moment you put the video up, mm-hmm. it'll be flagged. So it's getting tagged by an algorithm. It's not somebody working for a muse or whoever who's looking at it and saying, Oh no, th- we think this is copyright yeah. uh, infringement. You know. Yeah, I would think actually in, you know, so maybe not so much in a theater department, but in a, an English department, stuff like this, you know, that concept kind of comes up because I mean, if you're critiquing things, that you're supposed to have an exception to copyright, you know, like in, in principle. Obviously, nobody tells the robots what you're doing. Well, it's... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if, if you're claiming fair use, yeah. you know, uh, which is the sort of educational proviso where you're using something so long as you're not making any money off it or mm-hmm. anything like that, the, it's pretty tightly constrained. Even in an academic publication, you, you know, if you're quoting a lot of lines of something that is currently in copyright, as opposed to, say, Shakespeare, which is always public domain, right. though the individual edition is not, um, then it, it can get tricky. I, I, a number of years ago, I wrote a novel which included some uh, lyrics by a British band called XTC. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if you know those guys, but, and, and I, you know, I quoted from five songs about, you know, maybe three or four lines each. And um, in preparation for the novel going to press, I, I reached out to the band and to the manager and said, this is what I'm doing. Can I have permission? And they said, yeah, no problem. They, you know, and then Virgin Music got involved, and they said, "Yes, you can use it. That'll be seventy thousand dollars." <laughs> wow! Oh my god! Yeah. So I was like, "Okay, I guess I'm not going to use that." And the the ridiculous thing is, I then you know took the lyrics and put them on my website and said, "Okay, so if you read this book, these are the lyrics I was going to put in the book, and that's fine." <laughs> but right. putting them in print, not so much. So you know, 
And a couple of times with the with the copyright infringement on the baby metal stuff, I have appealed and said, you know, there's no realistic way that you can argue that I'm taking revenue out of the the band's pocket. Right. If anything, hopefully the opposite, right? That mm-hmm. I'm driving people to them, you know, and people are still are going to go and look at the actual official video for which they get money or something, you know, but it never works. <laughs> It never works. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's a nightmare. And as I said, and it's not that people always blame a muse, but it's everything, you know? It's not just, you know, I got, uh, when I tried to do the um, the Kohaku one, uh, I got tagged by NHK. Mm. But, you know, I mean, even when I've, you know, 20 seconds of the monkeys or the Ramones or whatever. (laughs) And yeah, same thing. You know, come on. Yeah. But the people making these decisions are mostly machines, and they're machines employed by lawyers, not by songwriters and musicians. Right. So. Yeah, and ultimately, there's also a... We're, we're using a free platform. You know, it has a very large reach, but they're under no real obligation <laughs> to mm. you know, right. sort of publish things that you put there. Right. So... Right. Yeah, there was. It reminded me actually. There was a uh, uh, academic investigation of like old video game, um, and they and this was in an published in an actual academic journal, and they couldn't put like the code <laughs> to the game that they were talking about in there because you know Sega or somebody still had some kind of claim on it. So they had a little footnote that says, you know, if you were to look on the internet and find something that looks like this is it, you know, here here is the hash signature of it. So if to know that you were talking about the same thing. <laughs> So if you yeah, if you get it yeah. some other way, this is how you verify that that it is it. But I mean, it's it's just insane because I mean, like it's an academic publication about a game from the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, I even considered at one point just doing videos of me talking about a song and linking to a video of the song somewhere else. Yeah. So that people, you know, and, and you could watch them sort of simultaneously and cut back and forth and time code it so that it's like, and in this moment, you see this, and in this yeah. moment, but it just, you know, I, I don't think anybody would watch that. Yeah. I don't know. There's, so there's a, um, uh, on one of this kind of like main, uh, discord servers that people talk about this stuff on uh there, that is kind of like an ongoing conversation there's a term for doing this which is link and sync you know so the idea is that you um mm, uh, mm. you give people a link and you they click it um that works a lot better for the this kind of like straightforward reactions where there's no pausing to talk or whatever but there is um this piece of software that and, and I, i'm not actually super familiar with it but i think it goes by the name reactor hub um that sort of coordinates these things for you. So it, it basically brings up mm. the original video on its own link and your video on its own link and syncs them. Um, yeah. Uh, in the chat, somebody's mentioning that Rift Tracks does something sort of similar. So yeah, it's um I think it's technically possible. Um, but there a lot of times the big time reactor uh, people who want your clicks and subscriptions and likes and all that stuff do. I think have the feeling that it's that it is going to eat deeply into their um, engagement. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And and there is an ethical consideration as well. You know, I'm not looking to take money out of the organization's pocket, out of the band. You know, of of course. Mm-hmm. I just don't really think that's terribly likely. Right. I mean, like, uh, although I have to say that, <laughs> like, I do watch reactions occasionally, um, and sometimes. 
actually maybe more often than not, I just end up watching the little the fuzzy video in the corner and ignoring what the person's doing. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> the reaction thing is fascinating, isn't it? Because I mean, I I will watch them from time to time, and then I find myself thinking, what am I doing? Why am I watching this <laughs> yeah. every single time? You know, same for me. But the, the, there is something weird about this thing about seeing your taste validated yeah. by somebody else. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that that's part of it. But at some point also, you're like, I don't care whether this person likes the song or not. (laughs) (laughs) Am I so, you know, am I so insecure that I need some clown to tell me that this is a good song? No, I don't. So why am I watching it? It's also sometimes frustrating to watch them. Like you can, you can see and it's like, you know, stop banging your head. You're missing the thing. You know, like watch the video. This is mm. a cool part. <laughs> right, 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 right. And you're talking through the best bit, right? Yeah. You stopped it at the wrong moment, jackass. Go back. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, but it, yeah. it is interesting. I think you mentioned this at some point that um, uh, it, people watch these. I mean, like they have really high view numbers, some of these. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first time I tried to do a genuine reaction was uh, AKB48, and it did not go oh, well wow. at all. Because <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of wonder oh, if, it, if it's worth it to put up a, a big negative reaction, just because you, if you're talking about people wanting their opinions validated, no one who hates the band mm. is going to watch it, and, and no one who likes it is going to want to hear you say you hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess you have to put in a couple of negative reactions on your channel somewhere just to make it seem like you're being objective on the other ones. Yeah, I guess. Uh so I, I would like to circle back to uh kind of talking about the lyric stuff because I uh, actually I recently kind of rewatched a lot of your videos uh to prep oh, yeah? to talk to you today. Um <laughs> and I I think I came up with some interesting points. Glutton for punishment. Yes, I am a glutton for punishment. <laughs> Don't worry, I watched them at a uh, more than one percent speed or more than hundred percent speed. So, <laughs> um, one thing that blew my mind the first time I watched it, and even again reminded me of it, was uh, you, you made a connection that I had never made in the song, but is so kind of obvious in hindsight. Um, and that's um, the incorporation of Sakura Sakura into Megitsune. Mm. You connected it to yeah. a transition of baby metal evolving and transitioning from a subunit of Sakura Gakuen to Baby Metal. Yeah. Um, so I guess my first question, or my first thought is, could you kind of expand on that just for our listeners that maybe haven't seen that video? Because I think it's really interesting. Um, and then my follow-up would be, um, are there any other, what, what else are we missing that you've come across kind of in a similar vein, if anything? Hmm. So, so yeah, the song Megetsune has that that slow portion uh, in the center where the lyric is what is it uh kitsune kitsune watashi wa megitsune right Mm -hmm. um and it's sung in that slower sort of enka style japanese folk kind of music and i remember the first time i heard it i was like i i know that tune Mm -hmm. what is that tune Mm -hmm. um and every and a lot of people know about this so you know and and it's a a folk melody sort of I want to say so it's late 19th century in its current form mm-hmm. though the, the the melody is probably older than that uh and it's 
about the cherry blossoms and it's called Sakura Sakura. Um, and the lyric is something about, there are a number of verses, but it's basically about, look how pretty the cherry blossoms are. Let's go look at them. Right. Um, so Megitsune incorporates that melody, but changes the lyric to being about the, the, the kitsune and the, and transitioning into Megitsune, which is obviously the female fox, um, and announcing the singer, the speaker of the song as, as the fox. And I thought, so, okay, so they're borrowing, um, a piece of Japanese folk culture is that all there is to it? Or maybe there's, there's something else. And, and it was just one of those things I was thinking about it. And I was like, okay, so it, it, it can't be an accident, right? That, that anybody who knows mm. the original melody knows that it's about the cherry blossom, therefore knows the Sakura um, and the, that um, Sakura Gakuin from which baby metal formed um, seems to be an obvious reference as and and particularly for this song early in their career as a sort of transitional statement about mm-hmm. moving out of uh what you know and again this is my perspective other people might not agree uh, that moving away from something that is at the lighter end of the kawaii spectrum mm-hmm. this the sort of the prettiness which is like the cherry blossom which is a, a very sort of feminized image in Japan often associated with with women and to to go from that into saying we in a sense we're not cherry blossoms we are foxes and foxes are mischievous and foxes are playful and foxes are powerful within Japanese folk culture um that seemed to me resonant you know it seems like uh, one of those things where you think okay so I, i'm seeing a connection here is it a coincidental connection and if I can demonstrate that there is a consciousness of that in the forming of the song, which I think there has to be in this case, then the question then becomes, is it a constructive connection? Is it something that gives us an extra extra layer? And I think in this case it does. Mm-hmm. I think it becomes a very self-referential. And there are a few songs where similar things happen. Uh, Catch Me If You Can does it with uh, a, a folk melody in the... Uh, in the guitar break. And recently, it's actually one of the things that I stumbled on when I was thinking about Metataro, which, as I said, was not a song I particularly like listening to a lot, you know, but I, I was listening to it in preparation for doing the video, and that melody line at the end kept going around in my head, but it would always go in a slightly different direction. And I realized that it was echoing um, a theme from Prokofiev, which is reused by Sting in Russians. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, again, you know, is, is this a coincidence? Is there something going on here that might prove useful in terms of looking at it and exploring it? And, you know, I mean, it's one of those things that maybe you'll think I'm, you know, <laughs> pulling stuff out of the air. Um, but, you know, if if it becomes sort of productive and useful in your analysis of the song, then I think there's there's value to it. So I I suspect um, that there's more of that going on, and and particularly with Japanese music, I'm sure there's a lot more of that than I'm conscious of. You know, it's like the the sort of the, the referencing ex Japan songs and and such like. You know, um, you know, with, with the um. What did they do in the New Year performance mm-hmm. uh, that they did the um, Endless Rain? Mm-hmm. 
And I'd never heard that song before. But as soon as I listened to it, I was like, oh, that's No Rain, No Rainbow. Uh-huh. <laughs> I see where that is coming from. And the, and the line given to Sue Metal in that performance is the last, what's the last line of uh, No Rain, No Rainbow, right? Uh, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a matter more, right? And, and in the actual performance, because of the way in the studio they had divided the song up amongst different singers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the but the lines that Sue Metal got to sing were the point at which the song was closest mm. to No Rain No Rainbow, you know. And I thought, oh, so that's again, it has an extra level, an extra layer. It's it's resonant in in useful ways, if only because they seem to be sort of referencing their own musical heritage, and and it has that kind of meta sort of uh, dimension to it. Yeah. So I suspect it happens a lot. Yeah. I, I, I've always kind of wondered, I don't know exactly how much to attribute to Koba and how much to attribute to the team and that sort of mm. thing, but we definitely have this feeling uh, that Koba likes these little puzzles and interacting things yep. and references and all that stuff. And, you know, I, yeah, I imagine I think there's so. a lot of intentional stuff there. I think so too. And I, th- I but I think, as you say, we don't know who's exactly is doing what. And but there's a, a sense of the team coming together to produce something um, which is as, as rich and interesting as it can be, and, and I think it's one of the things that gives the lie to the critique of a band like Baby Metal for not being their own uh, for, of the the girls themselves not writing the songs. Yeah, you know, because there are plenty of rock bands out there who write all their own songs. And many of them are not that good. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? <It's> exactly right. <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, and, and so the, there's value, I think, for say, to say, you know, let's bring in some people who are really, really good at this and ask them to do one song and get it right. Yeah, it's sort of funny, this, the, the feeling that the only true band is one where like the person who's good at playing bass also writes the words. <laughs> like, why is that? Yeah, What's that yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> and and that's a specifically sort of late 20th century construct isn't it because it didn't used to be like that in the in the early days of rock and roll everybody was covering everybody else's songs and it became about who was executing the music in the way that you particularly liked it, mm-hmm. it, and and it's only later that we sort of i think it's actually after the industry is dominated by um producers who are crafting songs for their bands that we then start to sort of retroactively uh, valorize something that we think of as being more organic, that it's not real unless it's, you know, uh, a bunch of guys playing in the garage for years before anybody buys one of their records. Right. Yeah. This, uh, th- this is kind of a random thought, but I, I remembered now when you did the Metataro video, you brought up Anpanman. <laughs> <laughs> which I had never heard before, but, but um, it was really, it was very interesting because there was, this was something that you were familiar with. But uh, when I heard the theme song that you put in the video, I remembered, oh yes, this is, this is another thing that this character, what's the name? Nyango star thing. It's like some sort of Apple Fox or something uh, uh, that plays the drums. <laughs> and has actually fairly regularly, it does an Akatsuki cover, but uh, mm. Yango Star had played this, and I'm like, "Oh, that's what that is!" And it was it was just this funny little sort of intersection of all this stuff. And like, you know, if you if you grew up with this stuff or were there in the environment, all those connections would have been clear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, some in in response to that uh, video, somebody posted 
a picture of uh, UE Metal wearing an Ampan Man mask. Uh-huh. You know, and and that stuff is useful to to sort of help convince people who are outside Japan that in Japan everybody knows this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and it becomes sort of part of the culture of the sort of the cultural moment that produces these songs, right? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about deliberate intent on the part of the songwriter or the performer; it's just part of the zeitgeist. It's it's just in the air. Uh, and if you're not in that air, you can sometimes miss that. And I'm sure that I'm missing stuff all the time. Yeah. You know, I, I you watch somebody like Dwayne Metal, who, alas, obviously is not doing those videos anymore, but occasionally he'll reference things as being sort of obviously present in the song. And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what that is. I now have to go and look it up. <laughs> yeah. Know? Although I, sometimes he's, he's kind of <laughs> out there. He's like, well, I think Koba's referring to this comedian from the well, 1980s. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But it is very funny. So. Yeah. And ultimately his take, I mean, it's, you know, part of why I do the videos that I do is because they're not the same as what he was doing because mm-hmm. his emphasis is quite different. And ultimately he's interested in sort of teaching the language mm-hmm. through explaining the the grammar the grammar and the phraseology you know and obviously that's not what i'm doing yeah yeah i mean it's certainly at the outset he was really trying to like he was trying to trick you into learning japanese <laughs> in a way <laughs> yeah but uh yeah but i think he kind of he kind of dug deeper into his own hole there and wound up uh doing it really for just the just the analysis of the songs yeah yeah there was something else I was going to say. No, I've forgotten what it was. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, th- I think all I was going to, I was just going to repeat this theory that I've had, which is like, at least at the beginning, the idea of baby metal was kind of like, we have these little kids and they see extra pan around and they see all this other stuff in their environment. And they think that looks like kind of fun and they don't quite understand it. And they sort of misinterpret it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and what we get is the stuff on the first album. <laughs> yeah. Though. I, I think often the, the, the people who are actually really bringing those references in do understand it, right? right. Because it's not them. It's, it's not uh, Sue and, and Moa and Yui who are, who are coming up with those songs. It's, they're being presented with I, – I'd, I'd love to know to what extent they were even really familiar with that kind of stuff. I know that they, mm. they've often said that they didn't know much about metal mm-hmm. um, beforehand, especially the sort of darker metal, but – you know, did they even know that? that I mean, you know, it, when I was in, in Japan, um, my favorite Japanese band at the time was Southern All-Stars. <laughs> and I keep hearing bits of Southern All-Stars also in, in Baby Metal. And it was only relatively recently that I found out that Southern All-Stars were also repped by Amuse. Right. You know, so there's going to be sort of uh, um, organizational logistical connections, if nothing else, even if they're not artistic co- connections between them. But did the girls themselves grow up listening to that stuff? I've no idea. Right. Yeah, I guess what I was thinking about, too, is that it's an, it's a level more abstract. It's sort of like a, an art project where you're thinking, like, what would what would little, how would little kids do this? <laughs> you know? Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I always kind of loved that. You know, it's, it's sort of like this just a fun project to put yourself in the mind of someone who doesn't understand what they're seeing, but, but it looks fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I just wanted to say like how much I really appreciate how much detail you go into with your videos is just something beyond what I could do. It's just really nice to hear your side of baby metal songs. 
Oh, thanks. That's really kind of you. Uh, uh, you know, as I've said, you, you guys know this stuff better than I do. I, I, whatever um, perspective I have is sort of the sort of weird consequence of, of my sort of odd uh, experiences and, <laughs> and the strangenesses of my interests. But, you know, I, I at no point am I trying to claim that what I'm offering is any way sort of definitive or, or more accurate than anybody else's perspective. Yeah, of course not. Um, so, yeah, but I'm, I'm, but thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, I disagree that, that we know more than you about a lot of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, no, you know, I disagree I, as well. <laughs> I, I'll be honest, you know, you know, I've listened to all of these songs, you know, however many hundreds, thousands of times by now over the years. Um, and going through your videos, I, I think I learned more about the music than huh. I had in all of my time listening or doing my own research. So that that was really valuable for me. Hey, that's great. <laughs> and, and I'm sure other fans are the same way. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, um, because I do think your your perspective is really interesting. And I have definitely learned a lot. Thanks. I really appreciate that. I mean, again, it, it's that sort of the... the the, the the teacherly impulse, right? The the, <laughs> yeah. the 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 desire to, you know, to 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 explain or to and and again coming back to where I started, that the part of it was always about trying to articulate why I thought it was cool, and it's really that simple, you know, to try to articulate to myself and other people what it is that that makes this stuff. Um, fun and exciting and interesting. And, and in the end, that's, that's all I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, uh, I occasionally think about like how I would describe this to somebody like, you know, and it is funny how you just need to say, all right, well, let's sit down, give me three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you how all your first impressions are not actually accurate. And, uh, and this is better than you think. And it's already good. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think there really actually is something special here. I mean, there's there was always the risk that you know this is just you know we're just being obsessed with a band like anyone can be obsessed with any arbitrary band that you pick. You know, there's maybe Nirvana people who are exactly as obsessed or whatever, but I I think that isn't actually true. Um, I think that I think there really is like deeper stuff here, and and it it hits an interesting sort of sweet spot in intersections of just different, I don't know, everything's that, that other bands don't really do. So I think they're really, you know, I think we're right. Ultimately. (laughs) 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 But it's hard to, but I guess what what led me to thinking about that was that it's, it's a little hard to explain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And, and I think that the, that first look that people often get is in some ways misleading. And that's the other thing that it's the way that they, Assume they understand what your interest is. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. Right, which is also part of why I wanted to make the videos because I, I, you know, I share. I, I remember sharing, you know, some baby metal videos with friends, and a couple of them, you know, were like, "Oh yeah, we know what you like," and I'm like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, that uh, no, and also no." <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah yeah and uh, i mean actually that's that's it. the other thing that's been really pretty interesting about uh watching their um evolution through sakura gakuin and i'm not sure actually if you have um watched as much of that but it is it is interesting to see them grow up i mean like you know so there's there's also this other yeah. dimension of 
Like these are these are a little bit like your little cousins or whatever. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're right. I I I I don't know as much about Sakura Gakuin and but but it, but that sense of the the growth this uh the 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 change and development it's why i i'm so interested to see what new material we get yeah assuming we're going to get some at some point i'm really interested because it does seem like metal galaxy came out of a a kind of deeply traumatic moment mm-hmm. you know and who knows what they knew and mm-hmm. uh, when they were setting out to write those songs and, and record those songs initially, whether they knew the band was already going in a completely different direction and whether they were sort of trying to tread water or trying to sort of reinvent themselves or whatever. And it now seems the rhetoric that you hear from them about, you know, I don't want the fans to dwell in the past. I want us to move forward <laughs> that we keep seeing in, in interviews. And I, I want to see how that manifests itself in the music itself, you know? When, yeah. Because it's different, right? When you when you now know that you're not writing for a three piece, unless you r- somehow reinvent that three piece, it's going to change the structure of the songs, and and the way mm-hmm. that they are sort of conceived. So, yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, this also might be a good time to mention that we now have a bunch of the translations of recent interviews in the Hedoban magazine where you know some of this stuff was actually kind of discussed while well you know what's your favorite time and she responds basically now <laughs> what are you yes, talking about yeah. you know? <laughs> um, but uh but yeah so i'm hoping that we'll have a chance to talk about the contents of that stuff um soon but if you you know if you're listening to me now saying this you know you can go read them because they're very interesting but uh mm-hmm. but yeah mm-hmm. you definitely did do get the sense that uh moa particularly is not interested in dwelling on the past <laughs> and barely mm-hmm. remembers yeah. it yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we've had a couple of uh, questions from our chat. I think this might be a good time to get those in. Uh, Dragon Fury asked, uh, what do you see other fans misunderstand or get wrong about how they see baby metal and how they interpret the lyrics? Hmm. I have seen some people saying, oh, I think it's this song is about X. And when I'm like, okay, you just made that up. You know, that's like some completely random thing that you had in your head that isn't there in the song. It's like, and I always want to respond and say, okay, same as I would in the classroom. Where are you seeing that? You know, show me the words where you're getting that, you know, but it doesn't seem very, very fair in the circumstances. But, you know, I mean, I think this is what we do when we listen to songs that people you you kind of project onto it to a certain mm-hmm. extent because it's part of what makes your connection to the song personal i remember when i i did the the rondo of nightmare akumono rondo uh video mm-hmm. which bizarrely i think is my most watched video i don't know why um and you know sort of doing a fairly sort of detailed breakdown of of the lyric and and the sort of nightmare imagery of the song. And somebody commented about that they saw the song as being about depression. And I was really struck by that because I thought, yeah, you know, it it does feel like that. The, 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 the nightmare imagery um, contributes to this sense of isolation and, and abandonment and anxiety and such. And in some ways I felt like, I, I wish I'd thought of that before I'd done the video because I got so close to the words mm-hmm. that I didn't sort of step back from it and say, 
Okay, so yeah, here's what it's literally about. But what's the application of the song in personal terms? And I think that that sense of, of, of depression or something like that, I think, is actually a really good way of reading the song. Um, do I think you have to read it that way? No, of course not. Mm. <laughs> and I think that that's the only part where where it gets tricky, you know, where, where people say it's about this and not this. Then I find myself saying, okay, so you're going to make that claim, then you need to be able to back it up. You need to be able to defend it. And, and frequently, as the question implies, the, the sense of the language is not really there to make that claim. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, uh, I'm sure that there are times I know for a fact when I'm reading the lyrics and then I'll say what I think it means and somebody, a native Japanese speaker, will say, well, kind of, but <laughs> there's also this. Or, and I'm like, okay, fair enough. You know, I'm, I'm going to get things wrong. Um, I think, I think that, does that answer the question? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Sure. Um, and I guess this is actually a, a reasonable follow-up from uh, Mad Metal. How dramatically does the language barrier, you know, affect people's interpretation of the meaning of these songs? Yeah, I, I think, you know, people like to quote uh, Sue saying, don't think, feel, <laughs> hmm. uh, which is sort of alien to my personality. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I think one of the things that I've I've noticed in the comments on the videos is often people saying, intuitively, I kind of understood what this was about. But now that you've talked about the lyrics, I have a, a, cl- a sharper, clearer sense of it in ways that accords with mm. the way I was listening to it before. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of the sense of the song being conveyed by the sound, the 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 emotional. Um, tenor of it and the and the melody and all the rest of it um but uh you know it's like when i give somebody a passage of shakespeare in a class and 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 they look at it and then and then they say well i get the gist and i'm like okay but if you're an actor the gist isn't good enough sure because Mm -hmm. you need to understand every the nuance of every single word otherwise it's going to sound like you don't know what you're talking about when you deliver the line, you have to get it all. So it, it's moving from that general sense, the impression of the thing, and trying to nail it down in ways that frequently will accord with your general impression of the song, hopefully, right? Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, you'll run into a thing where you think, actually, act, the, the sense of the lyric is in some ways pushing back against the tone of the song, which is interesting of itself, right? Mm-hmm. So you're getting a kind of dual uh, message, for right. want of a better word, which is sort of creating a kind of internal dialogue to produce something slightly different. I, my my sense has been that at least there are a number of places where it's actually sort of explicitly playing on the ambiguity. You know, it's sort of like, here I'm, I'm mm-hmm. using a yeah. single word, and this can mean nine different things, and I mean all nine things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and 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 some of that is inherent to to the Japanese language, right? And people, I, I don't think it's true to say that Japanese is an inherently ambiguous language, but it can be if you want it to be, mm-hmm. right? Particularly with verb verb forms, where you don't have to specify, as we do in English, whether it's I, you, he, she, whatever, we, um, who is the subject of that verb. So, you know, you'll see translations which says, you know, one does this or what, where, where somebody's deliberately avoiding committing to 
a subject marker, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I understand that, but generally that's not how the song feels. But, you know, obviously if you're, you're looking at the lyric of a song and we don't know if the subject is a, an I or a you or a he or a she, then it opens up all kinds of, of possibilities. Um, hopefully that's productive, right? If it just leaves you completely uncertain at the end of it, then you have to commit somehow to a reading in order to make sense out of it. And it maybe gives you a little more room to, to project onto it. Yep. And, and I think, as you suggest, I think that's deliberate because, you know, part of what baby metal are about is creating this community <laughs> between the band and the audience or the fan base, or whatever it is, right? Um, and you look at the lyrics of a song like The One, and there is that sort of odd slippage between us and you all the way through the song that is there in the English, that I, I think that's a deliberate strategy on their part, that they, they want you to become a co-creator of meaning, mm -hmm. right? Um, that they're asking for that, for you to fill in the blanks for yourself, in ways that allow you to take some kind of ownership or possession of the song so that it has extra significance for you. It's a very Japanese impulse, right? Mm -hmm. it, the, it's the opposite of a kind of Western individualism where the author attempts to control all meaning. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it in that way. One of the last things I wanted to ask you is, I think I, I forget which video it was. It might have been your most recent video. You... Uh, kind of expressed some disappointment in metal galaxy at least lyrically i think and mm. that led me to believe or led me to wonder you left you left me with a distinct impression that you might have an idea of what you might want to see after metal galaxy where would you like to see the band go next i think um you know the, as we've said the first album is very exploratory right there's sort of finding out what they are. They're sort of bringing in various different influences, but there's a very sort of Japanese centric, uh, through line to the whole album. Mm -hmm. And then in the second album, it's more outward looking. Um, and, but this, a, a consolidation of what they figured out, I think on the first album. Mm -hmm. And then for whatever reason with the third album, I think that, you know, the word galaxy is not inappropriate. That the and and their sense of becoming a global phenomenon starts to affect the songwriting. And that sort of strangely that they attempt to do a concept album which is shaped by the very separateness of the songs, mm -hmm. where you're dipping into different cultures in order to create a piece which is in some ways unified, but is actually in its specifics quite disparate, right? Do you know, do you know mm. what I mean? And, and part of my, my criticism of the album is that frequently I find myself thinking, and this is to massively overstate the case, so don't, don't yell at me, <laughs> um, but I, I think the weakness of the album is that sometimes I think this could be anybody Mm. That there are, there are moments in the song where it feels like in their attempt to reach into other musical forms and other cultures and to be less exclusively Japanese, they lose some of what makes them special. 
Sure. That's maybe just a personal feeling. So, you know, I, I'm really m- very much in favor of them continuing to evolve and change, but I want them to evolve and change along their own path. Doesn't necessarily mean going backwards, but I don't want them to start to sound like any other band on the radio. Yeah, sure. That's my concern. That there are, there are songs on Metal Galaxy that I think you know that they're fine. You know, Elevator Girl, Die Die Dance, stuff like this. There's nothing wrong with these songs, but it's a little too familiar for me mm. with with other kinds of artists. So the sort of, and I un, I understand that's deliberate that they're saying we're going to do a Euro pop song, we're going to do a Viking metal song, we're going to do a, um, a an Indian inspired right. You know, I I get that, mm. but it feels like as an experiment, that's um, as far as we can go in that direction. And now we need to sort of come back and say, okay, and what are you? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. It, I, I had a, I know I had a sort of similar feeling initially, you know, Dada Dance and Brand New Day both, you know, sort of stand out as being only barely baby metal. <laughs> mm. You know, that, that they, they could be. It, it's interesting, Elevator Girl, I didn't, didn't find that as much because I actually sort of feel like that almost is too formulaic in a way it's like you know if you it it's followed the instructions on how to make a baby metal song you have like a light part and then a heavy part mm-hmm. and then <laughs> but yep yeah, yeah yeah so i mean as i say i, I i'm not i'm i'm not saying this is you know a, a decline or anything like that i'm saying i think that metal galaxy came out of some very specific conditions and i'm really interested since we've been living with that album now for a couple of years to see where we go next mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not quite a couple of years, I guess, is it? A little less. It it still f- seems new to me, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you know, you, you look back and you think, how long did it take them to record that first album? It was years, yeah, mm-hmm. of songs gradually coming to being, and it's and I'm not even convinced that initially they knew there was going to be an album. They were individual songs, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you if know? you were included on Sakura Gakuin albums, right. that's mainly it. Yeah. And then they and, and 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 then something else happens, and I think it's part of the reason that Metal Resistance is so clearly modelled on the first album. It's like, okay, we we figured it out, but but yeah. So the question is, what comes next? I, it's funny. I was I, I mentioned in in one of the recent videos that I'd been listening to Polka Dot Stingray, and if you know those guys, a Japanese band, um, and and they've been recording for what five years or so, I think, at this point. And it's amazing how, you know, their first album was an indie release and their big single was Telecaster Stripe, which I did a kind of reaction video to. Mm. Um, And then, but what's interesting is that the recent stuff is so similar, album after album, that, you know, the new song came out a few weeks ago and I listened to it and I was like, wait a minute, I must have got this wrong because I've clearly heard this before. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it turns out I hadn't. This was a brand new single, but it sounded like something that they could have recorded four years ago. And 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 so that's the other that's the opposite problem. You know? I, I don't want them to become a band with one sound, but I do want them to be a band that finds their own sound rather than copying other people's. Yeah. Who knows how long we'll have to wait. <laughs> but Yeah, really. 
I think that's interesting because I think in one of the recent interviews I read that was translated, you know, it, they both kind of riff on the idea of Metal Galaxy being an exploration of the fusion of these other genres with mm-hmm. the baby metal and the, you know, the kawaii and the metal. Um, yep. Do, do you agree with their own assessment of what that is, of what they're doing on Metal Galaxy? I think I understand the principle of it, and, and I, I think that that's... I, I, I can see that that's what they're going for, but I think that um, in the execution, to, for my sensibility, for my taste, it's a little, it's pushed so far into the the other bands, the other cultures, that they're losing some of their own mm. uh, sensibility. For me, I see. So rather than doing a sort of baby metal Indian song, they're just doing an Indian song. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and again, the question is: Are they doing an Indian song, or are they doing a kind of Western sense of what an Indian song might sound like? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, I remember Night Night Burn. Uh, Kevin had a complaint about that. <laughs> I think it was you know like the sort of most generic little Spanish guitar you could imagine <laughs> being pulled yeah. in. Well, mm, and that's uh, I mean, the same I, thing. It's like it's kind of like what what people perceive that as. <laughs> yeah, and and I think you know again, obviously, it's is a it's a big subject, so we don't really get into it now. But but there is then the question of a kind of cultural appropriation mm-hmm. issue of, you know, is this is is Shanti Shanti really an Indian song? All that sort of kaleidoscopic stuff that they do in the video and the perform- the live performance, is that really an Indian thing? Or is that a sort of late 60s rock and roll interpretation of India? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? There are moments in Sakura Gakuin's history where they're not particularly, um, they're sort of free to kind of use stereotypes of other cultures. <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking yep. of a, partic- a video I, in particular, which is just egregious. <laughs> but um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I wasn't thinking of Wonderful <laughs> Journey, but uh, but uh, Animorism, I think, is <laughs> the one I was thinking of. But uh, at any rate, yeah, I, I could I I could see that they were not necessarily all that uh, so socially sensitive, and might just really be picking at the stereotype, and and actually quite possibly Koba's stereotype you know, 1980s sensibility stereotype. Right, right. And obviously these things, you know, vary from, from culture to culture and, and the way that we process them. And, and I think, you know, Japan, uh, for all the things that I love about it, has not always been terribly uh, friendly to things outside its own culture, mm-hmm. you know. And when it is friendly, it is sort of appropriative in certain ways that uh, – you know, I've referred to it before as a kind of magpie culture where they take things and turn them into stuff that they find useful. And that's fine. But sometimes it can also be, you know, sort of problematic, especially according to the terms of our own cultural moment where we've become a lot more sensitive to stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because we come from a much more diverse culture, right? Right. I think there there were some people who were asking in the chat if you're uh, in the future interested in uh, looking at any of the SG videos, the Sakura Gakuin videos, and maybe you know. I mean, um, as I, I, I don't know if I actually said this. I thought it. Uh, uh-huh. One of the reasons that I took these the videos on is because I knew that I couldn't spend a lot of time writing while I was also directing and doing other things. Plus, the publishing industry is kind of shut down at the moment, so nobody's reading very much. Um, and 
you know, when I write, I tend to write fast because I know that I have the attention span of a finch. Um, so, you know, I, I, I usually do the first draft of a novel in about three months. Um, so obviously there's a lot of work that comes after that, but that getting through that initial step. So, you know, when I said I, I'm doing the videos on a sort of one at a time kind of basis, that's really true. I, there may be a point where I'm just like, you know what? I just don't think I have anything useful to say about this anymore. And so, you know, the, the prospect of people keep saying, Oh, you should be looking at Bandmade and you should be yeah. looking at, you know, I think, yeah, okay. But I don't know that I have enough to say to justify doing that in a, in a, a crowded schedule, you know? Right. So we'll see. I don't know. Maybe, mm. maybe. And again, you know, it's quite possible that there's depth in baby metal that there isn't in other places, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think sometimes that's because you've got an entire team of people working on the songs rather than a yeah. single sens sensibility. Sorry, I'm talking too much. No, no. <laughs> Not at all. No. That's very interesting. Um, we may need to stop, although I think it would be, you know, it'd be fun to have you back on at some point, you know, when, when your schedule allows. Sure. Yeah, that would be great. So uh, There's definitely some requests for having you back on to discuss the next album when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah oh and i guess right after you've seen them live too so two appearances That's already true, scheduled yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> but this has been super interesting <laughs> thanks for taking the time you know on a on a sunday to to record this my pleasure thank you we're really looking forward to the future videos and anyone who has not seen them you know should go go watch these yeah it's been super informative i really appreciate you taking the time to come on uh, not at all it's great thank you uh Okay, and so, yeah, I know that Callie wanted to, to talk a little bit too. Yeah, I'll say it. So um, this um, episode will be my last episode as a permanent podcast member. Please don't hate me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it's, it won't be forever. I'll come back every now and then for different episodes. But as, as a permanent member, this will be my last one. But I just wanted to say thank you so much to Kevin and Paul for being so awesome and supportive and just amazing in this podcast you are awesome and we we have very much enjoyed having you uh, along and you know oh, look forward you. to you coming back but uh yeah you, <laughs> your perspective will definitely be missed you've added yeah. your voice has added quite a lot i think to the show um but i am so glad you're willing to come back from time to time as your schedule allows oh definitely yeah it won't be it won't be forever definitely excellent um but uh, you know it's also i appreciate your being able to uh, actually like, tell people what's happening <laughs> so you're not just yeah. <laughs> don't just vanish but <laughs> no i'll still be here okay and we'll still all watch your unboxings and all that stuff or, or are you gonna do oh, a yeah. video for the uh the with the, the new merch that just showed up yeah yeah i'll be doing unboxing of that so look out for that soon outstanding excellent <laughs> yeah you're gonna make me jealous and regret not getting the uh oh, the charm no. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> well okay good thank you everybody thank you everybody, uh, everybody in the uh discord uh listening along in the chat room as well so that's it for this episode you can join us on the baby metal podcast discord to continue the conversation rating the podcast on whatever platform you listen on will help people find it so please do that we'll be back here in about two weeks we hope you'll join us then and until then see you <laughs>